Hello, and welcome to this monumental 20th episode of the Unraveling Technology podcast with me, Joe Tonks, and David Johnson. Hello. Hello. Monumental indeed, because not only is it our 20th episode, but it's also the 10-year anniversary of Birchinal Howden, this yeah. great technology institution that we work for. Yeah, 10 years. I mean, you've you were you were there since the beginning, weren't kind, you, David? More or less, yeah. So I I did a couple of summers of work placements here. So I was here for the first summer that they were around, and yeah. then yeah, I've actually worked here probably about eight years, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a little bit scary thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Um, it, how many offices have we had overall then? So three, three, three with some variations and expansions in between. Yeah, and looking at the way that we're trying to fit people into every nook and cranny in this building, I wonder if it won't be long before looking at expanding <laughs> again. Who knows? Right, well, I don't have a theme for today. I just thought we'd we'd have a chat. As ever, we've got Adam, our producer here, diligently taking notes when to <laughs> cut. Uh, before we came in, Adam Adam says he's trying to get he's trying to get a, a bit of a hashtag going of uh, th- things that are younger than Birchinal Howden. So sort of big cultural landmarks that aren't quite <laughs> 10 years old. And it's actually surprisingly hard to think of anything. Yeah. Like, just, just stuff like Blu-ray. Yeah. You figure Blu-ray's less than 10 years old, but it's not. It came out in 2003. Wow, okay. Yeah. Just a load of stuff we went through, so 3G, mm. say. All right, 4G, I think that's probably less than 10 years old, but that feels a bit too new. So 3G, that's that's 10 years old. Uh, social media, obviously, like goes back way further than you'd think. Yeah, I remember not having a Facebook account at Birchnell Howden yeah. because being annoyed at not getting invited to something. <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs> you mentioned that before. And it was round the corner from the Birchnell Howden office at the time. What yeah, was? The place that I was not invited to. Oh, right. I thought you meant Facebook. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> No. Yeah. Well, we thought of a couple. The one that I just thought of was um, Breaking Bad. Mm. That when was it? Two thousand and eight. When was Netflix? Ah, that's a good one. that is a good one. Well, that's that, that in my mind is always tied in with Breaking Bad. Yeah. Well, that's a bit of an American institution, but we had Love Film before then. Yeah. Are Love Film still around? Um, I don't know. I've not heard anything. Did they get bought or something? I don't know. I feel like maybe Amazon bought them or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, they did, didn't they? But uh, Netflix is 18 years old. Netflix is 18 years old. Founded 1997. Unbelievable. Wow. The thing is, when you say founded, you know, the first time it goes into a ledger somewhere, this is a, a limited company, to, to when they first start producing content or they first become pub- you become publicly aware of them. That can be a matter of years. So. Okay, well, as of 2007, Netflix had delivered its billionth DVD. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> what about Blockbuster? Is that less than 10 years old? <laughs> no, it isn't. Uh, yeah, I wonder if they still do... I, think, I wonder if they still do anything with the physical media, because... I mean, you can. So I was subscribed to a company called Boomerang Games because mm. games tend to still come out on de- disc most of the time. So that was a similar service, but you got games sent to you through the post. Uh, but as exactly as with Love Film, 
uh, I'd get, usually get a game and then have it for two months and eventually find it somewhere behind the back of a sofa and send it back. Mm. Yeah. We had... Okay, there was a while when my gran subscribed to Love Film. Yeah? Yeah. And she said, oh, Joe, you you pick the films. You, <laughs> you pick the films. That's a lot of trust. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I made a stupid mistake one time, which was that... So, so she tended to get stuff like, you know, The Queen with Helen Mirren in it. Mm. Or, or, well, newer stuff, but, you know, the sort of stuff that's you and PG and what have you. And for some, I was looking for something to put in the list, and I saw that there was a film I put in the list called Little Children, and it was it's an Oscar nominated film. Right. I don't know if it won, but it was Oscar nominated. Had Kate Winslet in it. I hadn't seen it, so I sent it to my gran, and it turned out to be this story about uh, like um, a paedophile who got out of prison, and this. It, it, well, there was a lot that happened in it, but basically, when I watched it a few years later, I was like, "Oh no, no, I bet she didn't enjoy this." <laughs> if she yeah. watched it at all, it could have just got lost behind a sofa for a couple of months. Yeah, she never commented on it then. No, actually, maybe she's blocked it out. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was an alright film. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't wasn't uh wasn't really to my grand's tastes. Okay. So so if if during the course of the episode if you happen to think of anything that might be less than ten years old. I was thinking internet personalities like that grumpy cat. Oh yeah. That's bet, that's bet, recent. Yeah, yeah, well it be it was sort of it came to the public eye recently. But I bet that cat's been knocking around for years. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if the cat wasn't that old. What about Maru? Oh, Maru. Mm, so that's a um, sort of an internet cat. It's a Japanese mm-hmm. cat. Scottish short hair or something. I don't know. Um, Grumpy cat is only four years old. so that's Okay, yeah. Okay. But again, that's like the wrong side of ten. I think it has to be something that's been knocking around for eight or nine years to qualify. Yeah. Well, if the hashtag's still floating when this podcast goes out, please email in your suggestions. Or tweet them. If or it's, or if tweet it's a them. Yeah, yeah, in fact, tweet them. You can use a hashtag in emails. Knows no boundaries. I'll get upset if you do. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Right, so a couple of news stories for us to look at today. First one, we spoke uh, a little, little while ago about Nest as a mm. company that was part of this whole Internet of Things movement. Yeah, so it's home automation stuff, isn't it? Yeah, so turning off your lights, lights, closing your garage door, things like that. Things of that ilk. Just uh, your heating. Just your heating, yeah. Just get everything nice for you. Just give you a um, an app on your phone so that you can change stuff when you're away. Yeah, geofence it. So as soon as it sees you bombing down a certain road, it can say, oh, he's on his way home. Start and like heating a, the house. And like a faithful dog, it will start <laughs> preparing for on. your arrival. Yeah. Heating the house, etc. Well, there was an article on medium.com, which I linked to you about a man who was faced with his his nest nest acquired device. So originally the company that he bought this this device from was called Revolve. Mm. And it was in 2014, I think he bought it. And it, it did all of this home automation. He's turning off all the lights, adjusting the temperature. And uh, that company was acquired by Google. So it was acquired, Nest is owned by Google. 
Mm. And then, yeah, Nest slash Google bought this company. Yeah. And now they're in the process of uh, releasing their newest load of kit, I guess. And they've decided they no longer want to support these old Revolve devices. So he's got a message, or at least he, he found out in some way. I think, yeah, wasn't that part of his issue with this was he didn't get a message. Even um, though they've got his email address, he happened to go on the website and see a notice that was only on the website and otherwise he wouldn't have found it. Right, yeah. Saying that in May, they're going to disable his his, his smart hub, mm. basically, so, so render it useless. Yes. He keeps going back to the comparison between his hub and a pot of hummus. Yeah, he does. Saying the hummus, <laughs> he really gets fixated on that. There's a bit in the article where it says, so why the hummus theme? Well, a Revolve uh, home hub does look a bit like a, uh, a box of hummus if you turn it upside down. I have no idea what a box of hummus looks like. Yeah, just a generic like a revolve hub, thing. apparently. Yeah, apparently. Well, but yeah, so this is this is not that they're stopping supporting it, or that if it breaks, you know, you can't get it repaired or anything like that. It is going to stop working, mm. and he paid. I can't remember. Was it something like two hundred and thirty dollars for it? Yeah, and he does say he recognizes it's not the end of the world, and he could go and buy another one. But as ever, it's one of those dangerous precedent things. Yeah. Plus, reading a couple of the comments on the article, some people were saying that it's never implied in the documentation that came with the Revolve that the connectivity back to the Re- to the Nest or Google servers was going to do anything other than provide updates. Right. And I suppose technically this is an update. It's just <laughs> a lethal one that breaks your hardware. Yeah, I mean, we started getting used to is maybe a strong term. Mm. Um, we've started seeing more and more of things like software, where, especially in the world of games that we're both quite familiar with, where they will shut down some activation servers and then the game that you bought uh, no longer works. Yeah, And in a lot of those cases, everything is digital. So you bought the game digitally through somewhere like Steam, Um, it connects to these servers, the servers go off, the game no longer has anything to activate against, so it won't launch. And you kind of never... It's it's not a good thing, but everything is kind of virtual. You never really own stuff. Whereas this, it's it's a weird crossover into a piece of physical hardware. Like, he actually owns this thing that has now been rendered useless. Yeah, and it's all because you have to rely on another company. So I've got a Synology at home. So Mm -hmm. two-disc Synology, which allows me to save all of my files and then I can access them wherever I am. So when I'm in the office, I can get to these files at home. Now, Synology does have a feature called Quick Connect. So when you get your Synology home, you plug it in, you create a Synology account, and you can use Quick Connect, and then it'll connect to your Synology via Synology servers. Mm. So that does give you... If you don't really understand about home networking and how to make uh, yeah, allow traffic through your routers, it's a nice, easy way of getting access to your files remotely. But yeah, say Synology were to go bust or for some reason discontinue that service, then you'd lose access to things remotely, which is why I'm. Well, the, when I set it up, I didn't use that Quick Connect, mostly because I didn't want all of my traffic and files routing through this Synology service. service. Yeah. yeah. So I I figured out how to 
be able to access the Synology directly. But this is the problem when you've got a mediator or an intermediary uh, service. I, in, in this case, it's providing a good service because people might not know how to do this stuff. Hmm. But I've come across a piece of software before called Fingerprints. You might have heard of it. Now it's called Presto. Okay. And this is... Because, you know, um, Apple has functionality on Apple devices where you can print, you can air print, but you can only do it to air print enabled printers. So you have yes. to buy a certain printer that's probably going to be more expensive. And this software, you run it on a server or an always-on machine, and it will turn any printer that you've got connected to that PC into an air print printer. Okay. So, you know, on the cheap, for uh, what was a low price of around $20, I think you could print from your iPad to any printer you had. But then they've moved, and this wasn't a recent thing. This this has got to be two or three years ago. They changed the name to Presto. It's essentially the same software. But now instead of paying once up front for this software, you pay monthly. And it's only $1 or $2, but that's indefinitely. Right. For something that isn't really uh, doing anything. Most of the time. Yeah. I, think I mean, the... how often do you need to air print? Well. I feel like if you are doing a lot of printing off your Apple uh, iPhone or your iPad or whatever, then maybe, you know, you need to change your workflow a bit. Maybe it'd be easier if you're using laptops. True. I mean, the way, the way I was coming from is you install the software, it converts all of your printers to air print printers. You could then cut that computer off from the internet completely when it was called Fingerprint, the initial software, hmm. and it'd still just run that service and you could just print as much as you wanted. Sure. But now it's exactly the same thing, but you have to pay a monthly fee, otherwise the program will stop working because they'll say, oh, your account's no longer active, so we'll disable the software. When it doesn't really do anything, there's no reason for it to connect to an external service. Apart from for validating this license that yeah. they decided is now a service. Yeah, maybe they update their printer selection, maybe. Mm. I, I don't know. I don't know how the software works. I don't know if they have to do a new profile for every printer. But yeah. there you go. These things where you set a precedent of, mm. you know, it's a one-time fee. Oh, now it suddenly isn't. It's a little <laughs> bit hard to argue why. Yeah. But also, it's a lot less per month, but it soon adds up. One mm. year, two years, and you're past the cost of the initial software. So I use for my, all my passwords a program called mSecure. Because you know what I'm like? Um, mSecure, it's all sort of self-contained. You can email the encrypted passwords to yourself, and it doesn't go off to some third-party server. Mm. I know everyone's said how safe LastPass is and all this, and, oh, they don't have the keys to check the passwords, but I don't know, part of me, a nagging part. Just don't want it stored on somebody else's server anyway. Yeah, because you're kind of holding them at their word. Mm. And they might be right. I can see that. Yeah. So I use this software called mSecure. But again, it, working in IT, we're always tinkering with our PCs and occasionally have to rebuild them. Mm. So you go and you license the key. And I've had a few times with this software where it says, you've reached your key limits. Um, you have to contact our service desk. Granted, every time I've done that, they've been really quick to get back to me. But what happens if they go under one day? Yeah. Hmm. Hopefully not. Or I'll, I'll have to start using LastPass, <laughs> which I don't want to do. Yeah. So there you go. 
let's let's not be scared of the cloud, but let's be quietly wary. Mm-hmm. Second story I've got is this one about the Tesla three being announced. Yeah, yeah. We keep we keep coming back to the Tesla. We do. Neil should have waited. He could have had a nice Tesla three in about four or five years. <laughs> So, so have, you, have you had have you had a look at the Tesla three? Um, yeah, I I watched. I think was it Wired? Somebody put together like a Tesla announcement in five minutes video, mm. which is just lots of short, sharp cuts to all of the key points of uh, yeah of the announcement. So I, I ran through that and read the article. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It looks quite nice. It's swanky, isn't it? It's quite minimalist. Yeah. So you've got the central panel. So in the current Teslas, the one that Neil's got, you've got a panel. Yes, yeah, essentially the size of a. Uh, it's like an iPad Pro, a big tablet mm. that's just smashed into the, the the middle of the dashboard. It's a seventeen inch thing, and it's it's in portrait as well, which is slightly weird. Well, you say that, but I mean, if you think of the way that you know, all the buttons are arranged on a dashboard these days, it does kind of work down. Yeah. The center between the seats, doesn't it? I suppose so, yeah. So, I mean, the fact that the new one has it in portrait, has I mean, in landscape, sorry, I'd say, if anything, that's that's more surprising. Because mm. also then you've got it all up in your elbows when you're trying to drive, you've got a bit of bit of screen sticking out. It does look a bit slightly odd, that, because it's, it's not set into the dashboard either. It's on sort of like a, a stand. I've got... I've, I'm guessing that pivots, so you yeah. could maybe, if if you had a passenger sat there who wanted to watch a film on it, if it lets you, I don't know. <laughs> Probably doesn't let you watch a film while you're driving. There's got to be something you can do with that. It's got a web browser, hasn't it? Mm. So you could, you know, keep tabs on the news or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, the rest of it, apart from that panel, that screen, it's just completely just white, slick, nothing else going on. Looks like a work surface. Mm. You could prepare dinner. On the dashboard <laughs> of that car, uh, they say, "Yeah, it's, it's it's their new sort of consumer model. So business class electric car. Uh, I think they said that retail they're going to start from about twenty four thousand quid. Okay, but you'd be looking with all the bells and whistles to be paying more like twenty nine thirty thousand quid. Yeah, I I think said thirty five thousand dollars, didn't they? Uh, I don't think I saw any UK pricing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it looks nice. Uh, pr- problem is, and it's probably not too much of a problem for them. So they've already got three hundred and fifty thousand, or around about three hundred and fifty thousand reservations for this car. Which is, hey, I don't know how many people pre-order cars typically, but that's quite a big number from what I understand. Yep, and that gives them a nice buffer because I think you have to pay about a thousand pounds to pr- pre-order this car. Yes. Uh, so they've got they've got a good amount of a good chunk of change under their belt, and it actually says on the terms and conditions on the Tesla website that you understand that Tesla may not have completed the development of Model Three or begun manufacturing Model Three at the time of your reservation. So in a way, it's kind of like Kickstarter. You're pledging <laughs> for something that hasn't come out yet. Yeah, the pictures look good, and they've got a good track record, so I've yeah. no reason to doubt that it'll that it'll come out anything other than brilliant. <laughs> And Neil will have to trade up <laughs> or, or down. down. <laughs> yeah, their uh, their plan has been interesting. I don't how I don't know how widely this was known, but they were talking on the uh, announcement about the like the overall idea of step one: make a like expensive sports car. 
Mm. Uh, step two, make a slightly more affordable, you know, but still kind of specialist car. Yeah. And then step three, make a car that's available for the masses. Yeah, make a, a common car. <laughs> Something but, that's even more affordable and, yeah. But Elon Musk, he said off the bat that the, the reservations for this new car had been much, much higher than anything they'd expected. And the big thing now is production. How long mm. is that going to take? And you're looking at estimates with the amount of cars they've got to get off the production line about 2020 before these things, you know, uh, they clear their pre-order backlog and these start getting into people's hands. Yeah. They're, they're also talking about building their, they call it a gigafactory. Really? Like, a, I think he said it's going to be the largest building of any kind. <laughs> I don't know. There's quite a lot of big buildings. This is to produce all of the um, the lithium batteries that they're going to need. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, they're basically taking over the world's supply of lithium batteries in order gonna... to manufacture all these cars. Are we going to have the lithium wars soon? People uh, fighting over lithium? I don't know. Uh, I haven't looked up the science of how easy it is to make lithium-ion batteries. They must uh, not be too significant, the batteries, because the new car has got two boots so it's got one on the front and one at the back as well and it's a smaller car than the is it model s neil's got is that what it's yeah called? neil's got the model s yeah so yeah that's battery technology for you still astounds me that you can fit a 128 gigabyte micro sd card in the palm of your hand well like the size of your finger finger now yeah could eat it i could yeah. eat it and not even realize it's that small <laughs> yeah and uh, there was some other news, uh, which I didn't read up too much on, but a fleet of trucks, of automated trucks from some of the big uh, big car companies. So I know Volvo was involved, not sure about the rest, have done an intercontinental trucking run for these automated driverless trucks. Okay. Yeah. There's the thing I've seen flying around the internet, which is... Because uh, you know you've got games like Euro Truck Simulator and all that. Yeah. So it's people surprisingly who, popular games. Yeah. <laughs> so for recreation, people are sat there playing a game where you drive a car down down the uh, truck down the M1. But yeah, people saying you know so so you've got computers driving real trucks and people driving virtual trucks. It's, <laughs> it's a wild time to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think they're due for a new simulator game. <laughs> they, could, they could really blow the doors off if they, if they pulled the finger out. The Germans keep cranking them out. Yeah. Like, if you can imagine Your something, truck. imagine some weird vehicle, then there's probably a simulator for it, and it probably came from Germany. Mm. Yeah. Street cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm mildly curious. You know. <laughs> About cleaning streets. Well, if, you, if, you know, you've got, if you're going to make a game behind it, there must be something to it. I wouldn't. One of the new virtual reality games that came out is Job Simulator. That was one of the lineup games for Oculus, I think. Mm. And in that one, it's a future where humans, uh, basically the whole of the workforce is automated. Uh, and they've got a museum, a museum that shows you how humans used to job. <laughs> <laughs> and you, can, you do all these menial tasks. It's meant to be quite funny. But uh, I think we might be a while away from getting to try that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the last story I've got was the one about the HP logo being updated. Mm. Um, have you seen it? Yes. So it is basically a bunch of bars, isn't yeah. it? 
Yeah. It looks quite good. It does. It, it, one thing that I've uh, I've seen mentioned is with the change in logo, does that come with a change in philosophy? Do Because if you were to look at it, it does just look like a, a bunch of bars. Yeah. And you could look at it and think, oh, yeah, I can see remnants of the old HP logo. But is that intentional? Are they trying to distance themselves? Well, they've split in two, haven't they? So there's like a corporate and a consumer side of things now. Mm. And the corporate has a really boring logo. And <laughs> and so I think they're trying to be a bit more exciting and appeal to, you know, the man on the street, I guess. Yeah. With their new... Well, you said, you know, I said I had that one interesting fact I was going to lay on you in this yeah. podcast. Yeah, you did. I've been waiting all podcasts well, for it. <laughs> here it comes. That boring logo of yours, the, the, the current HP logo. This is from Wikipedia. HP spun off a small company, Dynac, to specialize in digital equipment. Their name was picked so that the HP logo, HP, could be turned upside down to be a, refer, a reverse reflect image of the logo DY, which is Dynac. That was the, the previous company. Wow, okay. So there you go. And eventually Dynac changed, changed to Dymec, and then it was folded back into HP in the, the late 50s. Huh. But there, but you never knew that. Some weird stuff goes on behind logos, doesn't it? That, uh, yeah. I mean, I was just thinking of a couple. Um, Cisco. Do you, know, do you know the Cisco one? Do you know why Cisco's called Cisco? Uh, is it? Oh, I think I do. It's something to do with San Francisco, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. So Cisco, it's a, a shortening of San Francisco, and their logo is the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm, but done in a sort of vaguely wirelessy yeah. type network yeah. style. Yeah, so that's that's a good one. But yeah, I, th- I think as you say, the HP, you've got two. You've got their their corporate one and their consumer one. The consumer one, I think they could really afford to do some work with. So when I think HP, I think scummy old inkjet printers that don't print more than five pages. And when you think laptops, you think of all the bloatware that comes on them as well. Yeah. Um, but but we work with our servers as well. And the server range, pretty good. I don't know what you think, but... Yeah, no, I like... I mean, I think their laptops... They have different ends of the market, don't they? They have more corporate laptops, which are okay. But yes. yeah, my I mean I guess I've not seen a like a consumer laptop for some time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, HP, but well, yeah, that's kind of my image as well. Yeah. Well they've got the Envy, which is their Ultrabook, their thin Ultrabook. Mm. And I think they're meant to be quite good, although they do have a lot of overheating issue and issues with the hinges or something like that. But you want to talk about bad laptop top design? The uh, the new Microsoft one. What's that? The Surface Book. The is that what it's called? The one that has that weird kind of spine to it, rather than a hinge. The one where you um, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like it looks when it's open quite a lot like a MacBook, but when you close it, it's got this weird bulky spine that doesn't quite sit right. Uh, I don't know. Is that the Surface Book? The only laptop I can think of that Microsoft have been vocal about recently is the Surface Book. I think it might be the Surface Book then. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did you see that article I sent you about the the guy who redesigned the Microsoft branding stuff? Yeah. So, yeah. I remember seeing that a few years back and I did think it was good. So, so. he basically... I mean, he made some interesting points about the existing logo that they've got 
and mm. uh, it hasn't really changed. I mean, if you look back at all of the logos, it's always been like four squares yeah. in some format, and like occasionally in like more abstract than others. And I think one of the other things that stood out to me, one of the comments he said was the current Windows 8 logo. Mm. I guess Windows 10 isn't a lot different, really. Um, and how it's kind of a weird. I mean, do you like the current Windows logo? It's not so bad. It's okay. Um, I know. When, um, it's very simplistic, isn't it? It is, which is kind of the way things are going. I know that you've had a real bee in your bonnet around Windows and the whole Metro thing. Oh, can't call it Metro. Whatever they call <laughs> it now with the tiles. And I noticed he called it Metro in his uh, in the slides that you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that article was 2013, 12, yeah. so maybe it was Metro at the time. But yeah, one one of the points he, he mentioned was, because the new Windows logo is at a kind of angle, Yeah. Um, and he said that really doesn't look nice on products. So when you're viewing it straight on, it's okay, but when you're kind of viewing a product that has it on and the product's at an angle, then it looks a bit weird. Yeah, a bit skewed. Yeah. Which is an interesting point. Actually, just looking at the back of your surface here, because the old surface did used to have the Windows logo on the back, didn't it? Although that wasn't the... I think, I think one, the Pro 4 has like a shiny, yeah, okay. like, right. reflective Windows logo on the back. But but yeah, I, I mine... think that's straight on though, isn't it? Rather than the Windows 10 slanty window. Yes, yeah. yeah. But this guy re-envisioned it. So essentially, you still had a window pane, but it was at... Uh, an angle and it was a singular one as well yeah because he's talking about corporate windows aren't these like you know mm. children's drawing of a house square with a cross in the middle yeah they're just a single pane of glass what's that is it parallelogram is that what you call that shape uh yes I'm sure gonna, i'm gonna google it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the one so it's a parallelogram and he had different designs for whether it was Microsoft or Windows or Office. Office. And it looked good. And there's this general sort of space theme around it as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, they didn't go with it, presumably. <laughs> no. Was Do you know why he was making this? Was it just like a, a challenge that Microsoft did or was it something he did off his own back or what? I don't know. He had three days to do it, but I can't remember why he did it. Maybe just had an empty weekend. Let's just let's redesign Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, let's do the work for them. I mean, Apple were always the in the foreground of design mm. and sleekness of design. There was for a long time they were spearheading. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. Is it skeuomorphism? Yes. Yes. Um, which is it's it's sort of looking for familiarity, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's designing stuff to look like objects that you find in the real world. So that I guess the idea is that you intuitively know how to interact with something because you know the the toggle to turn this feature on and off looks like a light switch, and you know how a light switch works, so yeah. you can toggle it on and off. Or like if something, if you can drag something, you've got like two lines, one on top of the other, so it looks like it's got a bit of texture, like. You could, Grip yeah. it and flick it like, like you'd find, say, on the back of a remote where you take the batteries out. You know, mm. just a bit of a bit of texture, something to give you a bit of purchase. Yeah, and I think that's. Um, what do you think of that? Actually, coming from a hating Windows Ten. <laughs> I I think I was more into that. I mean, 
they went very far with it. Mm. Though it was all over the Apple interface, uh, and they have completely backed off it for the new, more recent versions of iOS. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would have gone as far, but I'm not. The thing I don't like is that the modern modern UIs all seem to be very flat and very yeah. square. And I think the idea is that people are now used to using computers and tablets and phones and things. And so we don't need to make buttons look like buttons. We can just make them a flat panel and then people will know that they can click them because they're used to clicking stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just looks works. flat and boring. Yeah. I was... Uh, um, who was I speaking to? I think it was uh, it was my wife. Uh, I was talking to her and a couple of her friends about how when you take a, when she takes the kids into the classroom, you know, to for, for IT. And the first time they take the kids in to do IT these days, they all put their fingers all over the screen. It's a touch screen, which is yeah, which is uh, scary. Probably will be at some point though. Yeah, and it's going to be get rid of the last CRT monitor. Yeah, last CRT. Please turn off the lights and all that. But um, yeah, that was another thing as well. Actually, something younger than Virginal Howden, the kids that that my wife's teaching. Yeah, didn't she? I don't. Did we talk about this on the podcast before, or just generally? She was taking technology in to show them, wasn't she? That's right. Yeah, yeah. She took in a. She took in a, her iPhone, which was a 5S. She took in an iPhone 3GS, and none of the kids knew what that was. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's so old. Because 3GS, that was my first iPhone, but that's going back a bit. I was in, I was living in Liverpool at the time. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that was older than them. Mm. But, yeah, Apple, even though it's they're generally quite good with the design, they've had a couple of missteps recently. Uh, have you seen the, the pencil that you get with the I, iPad Pro? Yes. So my my immediate question mm-hmm. on seeing that being announced was, where's the eraser? Right. Yes. Well, sure. You can you can pick that. Um, my my problem I was going to have with it is how you plug it in. So where there would be an eraser, you take a cap off, and there's the charger. Mm. So sometimes because <clears throat> uh, my wife's mom has an iPad Pro and a pencil. <laughs> I go around and you've got the iPad Pro sat there and you know how the charge port for an iPad Pro is sort of in the, the centre on the bottom or for, for a general iPad right like in the middle on the bottom and there's just this this big fat pencil sticking out the bottom of it <laughs> and that's how you charge the pencil I'm sure it probably does have some beautiful little stand that you can put it in for an extra 50 quid probably it's uh yeah, that always cracks me up. And the the mice as well, the the new range of magic mice. So they're wireless and they've got all these nice features. But if you want to plug them in, you have to turn the mouse upside down and plug the cable into the, the bottom of it. Yeah. Which, I don't know, it's, I'm sure someone somewhere had a good reason for that. But surely, surely you'd put the charge point, you know, at the front of the mouse where a wire would go into your, your typical mouse. Yeah. It's yeah, it's just bizarre. I think I saw like a, an article somebody had put together with a bunch of those, just like pick photos of of things like the the mouse, and then quotes from uh, like the Apple website or from Johnny Ives or something, <laughs> <laughs> saying something about the complete opposite of it. Yeah, it's all know. spinning words, isn't it? I don't know. I did, I did two weeks of a uh, 
work placement in a graphic design company mm. and that was enough for me to decide that I didn't really want to get into design. <laughs> Why is that? Is it because... It's just, um, I don't know, It you are... So one, one of the things that they said to me during the interview, in fact, I think, was that when you start getting into that, you are just become so aware of everything and you are constantly seeing stuff and analyzing it and seeing how it like how it works and whether you want to take stuff away from that and you know and what's not working and yeah i guess it's like when you start knowing a bit about films then you just analyze every film instead of watching it oh right okay you mean sort of how you can't just sit back and you can't just look at a logo and go okay that's hp's new logo yeah. You have to you have to analyze it in great detail. About yeah, will this be you know recognized as a HP logo? What what fonts have they used? What kerning have they used? Things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> kerning. Just one last thing I'll quickly touch on. It was that um, uh, an article I read today was Blizzard of World of Warcraft fame. Hmm. They've just shut down a server. Um, which is, I guess, I guess you'd call it a pirate server. So it's a third-party server. You might, yeah. Have you seen I, this? I have, I've read an article about this. I don't know if it's the same one. So World of Warcraft has been around for years, over over a decade. So don't think of tweeting that, Adam. It's been around <laughs> longer than ten years. Yeah, definitely. And uh, they've brought out loads of of expansion packs. The thing is, every time you bring out an expansion pack, you want as many people to get into it as possible. So you basically nullify everything that's come before that expansion pack. You say, oh, if you get in the game, we'll level you straight up or you could just get straight on with the next expansion pack. Which means that previously, whereas when World of Warcraft first came out, you'd you'd play the game, you'd go through, you'd slowly level up, slowly become stronger. Now you you get whiplash, just like, you know, tearing through all these expansion packs because they're so... So eager to get you onto the latest one, mm. get you on up to get the, into the new stuff. Get into the new stuff, yeah. So there's been a server floating around with about eight hundred thousand members on. Yeah, yeah. Which is called WoW Vanilla. So it's basically just going back to basics. This is what World of Warcraft was like when the first World of Warcraft was out. And there's all like they've done the graphics updates and all sorts since then. Mm. So like even if you're just playing the the content that was there from the start if any of that is actually left um it it does still look differently yeah and they've gone and say it's um it violates the terms of service and they're and they're taking it down yeah giving them a cease and desist yeah which uh it's uh, well i guess it kind of ties back into what we're saying about the internet things and you know when you're when you're relying on a third party even though in this case they weren't relying on a third party but as long as this is a bit of a cash cow, mm. they're going to seek to protect their property, which I suppose they're within their rights to do. Yeah, apparently this is all like in the terms and conditions. Uh, it just seemed like nobody really cared up until this point. Yeah, I mean, 80, 800,000 people, it must have been going on for a while, so I don't know what this is. I don't know if there's a new expansion pack coming out. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm not following World of Warcraft particularly. I don't think I've ever followed World of Warcraft. No, I play. play we did play it once, didn't we? Was that World of Warcraft? I think so. I think you gave me a trial for it. Wasn't that Star Wars? We've done both. Yeah. Have we done both? <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm not a massively multiplayer RPG no, guy. No, I don't really have the time to spend on those kind of things anymore. Uh, okay. Right. Well, believe it at that. Uh, I feel like we should have an app of the week because I don't think we had one last week. No. 
So I'm just having a look at what I've got here. Have you got one? Because I might have one. Oh, have you? Well, great. Because all I was going to say is uh, Mitomo, the, new, the, the first official Nintendo app. Oh, we could talk about Mitomo. I've installed Mitomo. Yeah, I've installed it. I haven't got into it yet. I haven't friended you on it. <laughs> right, okay then. Well, you might have more to say than me. Um, yeah, it's... So have you, you've installed it, but you've not used it yet? No, I basically got stuck at the login bit. Because one thing that Nintendo's always struggled with is having a cohesive account system yeah so there was nintendo club accounts there was the, your account on 3ds your account on on wii and this looks like it's another account yeah it's a nintendo account it's yeah. nintendo not very good at networking no, no. <laughs> like there's all the stuff on the wii where like most consoles if you want to befriend somebody you add them to a friend list and then you know, just by their email address or whatever, and yeah. then you can invite them to games. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the Wii, you've got friend codes, yeah, which are however long, twelve character, like twelve number codes, yeah, that you is, just have to trade. It's all very backwards. I mean, I guess from a security point of view, because these consoles are played by a lot of kids, it's kind of a good idea, but yeah, it's just not very intuitive. Anyway, what is it basically? Is it just a Tamagotchi or? So from what I can see so far. Um, you basically you create a me, which is a sort of virtual avatar that looks approximately like you. And you can do that off the camera, oh, which, okay. which has some interesting effects. <laughs> um, so you just kind of like point your your phone's camera at yourself and pull faces and stuff, and it'll just every like two or three seconds generate a new me face for you, oh, based right. on what it thinks you look like. You just is, click when it gets it right. Well, you can go back through the last sort of. 10, 15 that it took and pick one out of there. Right. Um, but yeah, so yeah, you generate a me and then you can adjust it and um, you can change its voice. So it's got speech synthesis in there. So you can change the pitch and the, the speed and the okay. depth and things like that of the voice. Uh, you can customize how it walks around. Mm. And then basically, you just seem to ask and answer, que- or you seem to answer questions. All right. Okay. So, what sort of questions? So, like, you can tap on it and it'll say, um, "What have you been doing today?" And you answer, "What have you been doing today?" And then it'll store that answer. Um, or, "What's your favourite food?" Or mm. things like that. Just a whole bunch of questions. Uh, and you, being one of these kind of mobile apps, you get coins for answering these questions. Um, and for being compliant. Yeah, the checking in every day and is that it, kind of thing. Is it going to come back to you in a couple of months and go, so what? what did, uh, what's your favourite food? And you'll say something different. And it goes, well, hang on a minute. That's <laughs> not what you said a couple of months ago. Sounds like Nintendo's trying to gather big data. It does. It sounds like big data gathering in the extreme. Yeah, it's a bit weird. I um, bet your picture's on a server somewhere now. Probably. Who knows? Mm. Uh, who knows what end-user license agreement I agreed to. Um, I'm sure it was worth it. <laughs> but yeah, so you you can answer questions like that, and then you connect it with your friends' accounts. Mm. So either via Facebook or Twitter, or you can do uh, friends who are nearby. Okay. Which I think I don't know. It, it asks to use your device's location, right? Um, but then you basically you stand near each other, and then it asks you to pick a shape from four. Oh right! And you both pick the same shape, and then it like figures out. That you're, you know, that's the person you're trying to connect to. Yeah. Um, and Ooh, then that's a good basis for a horror film. 
<laughs> so there's two people who think they're alone and they're both there. It's like, oh, let's add each other on Mitomo. Okay, let's press the shape. Did you press the triangle? No, I pressed the square because it gave me a square. Who am I pairing with? <laughs> someone like in the shadows. Calls were coming from inside the house. <laughs> inside the house. Um, yeah. yeah. And then you... So you friend people. You befriend people. Mm-hmm. And then I think they will ask you questions and you can ask them questions. Or they'll ask you... Yeah, they'll ask you questions about them. Like, what do you think my favourite food is? Yeah. Uh, and you can answer. And yeah, I, I've i not really found a point to it yet, to be honest. <laughs> well, I'll have to add you on it and we'll uh, we'll have a go. Yeah. Anyway, um, painfully aware we're running out of time. Mm. And uh, I think they're about to start making noise outside. So probably as good a time as I need to quit. Quit while we're ahead. So, as ever, thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, email us at podcast.unravelingtechnology.co.uk and then we're on Twitter as well, at Unraveling Tech. If you happen to think of anything for our uh, things younger than Birchinal Howden hashtag, then uh, then do uh, do Tweet at us. Yeah, tweet at us. Um, but uh, just so you know, it appears nothing is younger than Birchinal Howden. <laughs> <laughs> All technology has already been invented. Yeah, and it's been around since the 60s. <laughs> um, our blog, as ever, unravelling.technology. And please do leave us a lovely little review on iTunes if you haven't already. Thank you very much. We're going to go away on our big weekend now, our big 10th anniversary weekend. Mm. So we'll uh, speak to you next week. Goodbye. Bye.